Greetings everybody and welcome to episode 4 of Mandatory Marvel and DC, the show that takes a look back at the very biggest and best storylines from the big two of comics. I'm your host Max Byrne and I hope you'll continue to join me each and every week as we cover these classic moments that have stood the test of time and crossed over into popular culture. Now, for episode 4, I'd like to welcome back the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour, the ubiquitous Dave Horrocks. Dave, thank you so much for, <laughs> for coming back on once again. How are you uh, bearing up with the madness engulfing the world at the moment? Oh, my word. It's all a bit weird, isn't it? And it just continues yeah. to get weirder. I mean, God, God bless Zoom and, uh, you know, audio conferencing and stuff like that. But I have to say, <laughs> Max, you know, without doing a woe is me kind of thing, because everyone's in the same boat or, or very similar boats. Yeah. I mean... I'm busier than I've ever been, and I'm quite lucky that I've got a job where I can work from home. I, I'm not going to moan about how busy I am because it's quite a fortuitous position because a lot of people are, aren't in that position where they can actually work from home. Yeah. But I have to say, yeah. Max, you're, I can tell you've been watching a, quite a bit of the wrestling again recently because I was impressed with uh, the way you introduced Tony last week, and <laughs> you've just won up to yourself with that introduction there. So, you know, you're proper getting it in. I can't remember the uh, uh, the guy, you know, the introduction guy who does the wrestling, but uh, I, th I think you can give him a run for, for his money there. Well, I'm, I'm warming up for um, Chris's new wrestling gold podcast uh, that I'm supposed to be uh, doing a, a little slot on later this week. So I'm sort of getting myself match fit <laughs> where that's <Yeah>. concerned. So uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll see where that goes. But uh, no, I'm looking forward to that. It should be a lot of fun. But yeah, I, I hope that intro was uh, befitting of a man such as yourself. Oh, dear me. Full of gushing <laughs> praise. So no, listen, honestly, last week's episode, absolutely brilliant. Absolutely loved it. One of my favorite X-Men shows. And the, the knowledge the knowledge that just oozes out of you and Tony, it's just a brilliant listen. So um, now if you haven't listened to that one, go back, listen to that. And if you haven't read it, you need to sort yourself out. Get yourself on there. I did have a quick sneaky check. Uh, again, in the UK, you can buy it on Kindle if you want to buy it digitally. Obviously, a lot of the comic shops are kind of uh, a bit snookered at the minute in terms of being able to open. It's 99p to buy on kindle at the minute which is it's a no-brainer robbery absolute robbery so you need to get on there buy it yeah. and then give these guys a listen from last week's episode yeah everyone should get on that and read it i mean, i know times are tough for everyone myself included at the moment but everyone can scrape together 99p just get on there get it bought you won't regret it you know we've all got the time at home now to you know, spend more time reading, whatnot. And if you're going to read anything, read that. That's all I'll say on that one. Absolutely. I mean, come on, let's face it. It's that or spend more time with the family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, um, <laughs> I, I can say that, Max. I wouldn't possibly ask you to comment. Well, uh, as always, is guest choice, of course, on this show. And you are the guest. So the one you've come forward with to review on the, this episode, episode four, is Guardian Devil, uh, which is a Daredevil um, title. It was originally an eight-issue uh, story arc published by Marvel from November 98 to June 99, written by none other than the uh, celebrated filmmaker Kevin Smith and illustrated by the extremely um, 
revered Joe Quesada. So this really is an all-star lineup for this book. Before we sort of get into the book and discuss what happens in it and the sort of key bits and bobs of, of the book, I'd like to ask you, first of all, Dave, what made you pick this particular book? What drew you to it? Well, I think, I think this journey actually starts probably when I was a kid. And, you know, when I, I, you have various phases in your life, or, or I do, when I was into comics. And, you know, as a young kid, everyone would buy me, like, copies of Spider-Man and things like that. So quite often, I mean, in the UK, you had Marvel UK, which was a big thing. But you had all these kind of spin-off little titles. So they weren't necessarily the amazing Spider-Man. But I just yeah. remember kind of liking more just the images more than anything else i mean next to batman and superman you know he's the most recognizable hero isn't he and i remember just being in the like a a backstory in one of those issues was the origin of daredevil and at the time and i'm not proud of this but as a little kid i mean i must have been six seven or something like that I, i remember thinking like why would i be interested in a blind superhero you know not being funny as a seven-year-old kid I, that's kind of what I was thinking mm-hmm. but as I got kind of a bit older I started to appreciate him more I started to appreciate that you know if you have let's be extreme if you have Superman right he can just kick everyone's ass I mean the way they they write him to come up against him you need someone like Lex Luthor who's going to battle him with his brains you know and out outsmart him but you know toe to toe he's just going to kick pretty much everyone's ass Spider-Man is is right up there as well really um you know in the early days in the Ditko days he was he was more kind of fallible and he he was you know some of the scenes you know the way they're drawn and stuff just amazing and you can see that he's overcoming you know, his, his own kind of uh, frailties. But I think that something about Daredevil and just having that handicap, but everything else having to become stronger just drew me to him. And then I go into the next phase when I, get, when I become, you know, an adult and I start reading the character. Again, I just like the street-level aspect to it. I mean, with the uh, kind of new Avengers that came around, where basically, ironically, when Casada took over in the 2000s, and he basically said, well, let's just stick all of our most popular characters together in the new Avengers, and you yeah. know that'll be a great selling book. So Spider-Man essentially became an A-lister, uh, really then so i appreciated the likes of you know your daredevils your iron fist your luke cage your moon knights you know i dr- was more drawn to those characters now i didn't read this in the 90s i i think i've said before on this particular show that you know the 90s turned me off quite a bit but when i was going back i wanted to seek out daredevil and what was going on there and some of the big stories there and one of the storylines that came up again and again was Guardian Devil. And the fact that it was it was written by Kevin Smith sort of blew my mind. You know, this yeah. guy who I knew from independent film, he'd done Clerks, he'd done More Rats, which, you know, we, we both discussed, we love. Mm. And I was just like, I've got to read this. Now, even though I knew I had to read it, I, th- I didn't think I was going to read this story because bloody hell, it blew my socks off. <laughs> you know this was not uh, this was in my kind of renaissance of getting back into comics and again i just couldn't believe the the adult themes that were in it 
and mm. uh, you know the real hard moral choices that were in this as well. And so, yeah. you know, it just blew me away. And so after this, I gorged on all the Brubaker stuff, all the Bendis stuff. Daredevil yeah. for me, he kind of, he is in the, the Marvel universe, but he kind of sits out there on his own. You know, if you think mm-hmm. like Captain America, Iron Man, even Thor, you know, they, they kind of have to, because they're in so many books, certainly Wolverine, right? They're in so many books the individual writers can't do that that much with them whereas daredevil because he's left on his own they can really tinker with him and really break him down and the the reality is you know he doesn't have wolverine's in you know healing factor certainly isn't invulnerable he just has these heightened senses i just love it i just love everything about the character but also the fact that they keep fucking breaking him down again and again and again (laughs) and he eventually you know kind of he wins through but you know there's there's a toll to everything he does and i just love it yeah he does suffer probably more than any (laughs) any marvel character (laughs) that's for sure uh he does go through it um which we'll uh, be getting to very shortly with the plot of this one my god wow that's great i mean that's um certainly quite a big connection you've got with the character there and, and where he sort of comes from and the journey he's been on and your sort of affiliation with it. And like you said, this book, as you rightly said, it, it's full of what one would call adult content. Much like um, the book I reviewed for the last episode, this is certainly not one that you should ever let your kids have a look at. Again, <laughs> mature audiences only, uh, everyone who's listening, do not um, let uh, the little ones have a look at this one. I mean, God, there's a lot to sort of unpack and discuss in this one. There's some real heavy themes in there. There's religion plays a massive part. The, the HIV virus is a is a is a theme in there. Mass murder and the potential second coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, just to name a few, you know, uh, just a few little bits and pieces in there. Uh, a bit of light leading, shall we say, you know. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's it is a great book. I completely agree with you. It's one of my favourites. And like yourself, I'm I'm a fan of Kevin Smith's um, work. This is a far cry from Jane Silent Bob, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, I I I like pretty much everything he does. I've you know seen seen all his films. I've, when he's been over here touring, I've seen him a couple of times live uh, in Manchester with the Jason Mewes doing like their live show, which is really good. Um, and pretty much like most things he's, he's done, there's a couple of his films which we uh, won't go into that I think are, are shit. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, think, I think most people do as well, the ones I'm talking about, but I'll uh, leave that to everyone's imagination. But yeah, but he, you know, I mean, it's no secret that he is a, a massive comic book fan in his own right. His other stuff that he's written as well as this is well well worth getting hold of. His Spider-Man stuff is superb. Um, the stuff he's done for DC, his Batman and his Green Arrow stuff is absolutely amazing. And I would strongly recommend anyone, if you get the chance, you know, to either seek them out or, or download them. Whatever, however you can get your hands on them, if you've got the chance, go out and get them because you'll really enjoy them. Again, more adult-based than perhaps uh, one would think from your normal comic book fair. Really well worth it. Um, it's definitely something that is um, worth an investment, we'll say. And, um, and can I just say as well, I yeah. mean, people can either like or not like Kevin Smith's movies. I, I can definitely yeah. see why they wouldn't. The thing I like about him as a person, though, he just seems so humble with everything that he does. He, he never mm. seems to have that, 
real ego, you know, for all the things that he's done. He's, he still seems like us. He still seems like a fan who's just like, fuck me, how, how have I got to do all this shit? You know, <laughs> it's fucking yeah. awesome. So I've got a huge amount of respect for him. Yeah, yeah. He never comes across as, as big time, does he? Or, you know, someone who's sort of gone above his station and forgotten his, his humble roots. Seems like he, a fan who's won the lottery a lot of times, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He won the ticket, didn't he? You know, and got yeah, to yeah. write a bunch of shit for Marvel and DC. So fair yeah. play to him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The proof's in the pudding. Um, actually, while we're on that theme of, of, of the writing, that we'll quickly just touch on the uh, the art by Joe Casada in this book, which is an absolute treat to look at. It really, every page is just pops off. It's bright. There's so much going on and the, the figures are really well defined. It's, it's an absolute visual treat. Is his art something you like or do you prefer a different kind of style? You know what? How you've described it there is exactly mm. how I remembered this. Yeah. But there is something that's influenced me. So the, the last thing we looked at, you and I, was Kingdom Come. So mm -hmm. obviously there you had the Alex Ross art. And you know what? There was just something of a come down, you know, going from that to this. Yeah. I, I remembered it as being amazing. And I think, you know, it is very good. It is solid art, I think is how I describe it. But I, I think I thought of it in my mind as great art. But honestly, I, I don't think it is. And I think some of the, if I think of Daredevil, I think more the kind of Bendis and Malev storylines. Yeah. And I think mm -hmm. some of the watercolors that Malev puts together yeah. just capture the mood and feel of Daredevil just a bit yeah. more. They, these are very crisp, tight lines. You know, the, the coloring's good and solid again, but I'd, Actually, I don't think it's great artwork. Oh, okay. Don't That's, mean uh... to piss on your chips. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I'm the one who suggested no, this, you know. And again, I, this happens when we do film reviews and stuff on, on some of the other podcasts Chris and I do, where you remember it a particular way and you come back to it and it's like, oh, you know what? It, it's not quite how I remember. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, I mean, like you said, going from to Alex Ross art, to this kind of art it is i think when anyone would struggle to follow if you've been reading an yeah. alex ross book if you go from that to virtually anything else it's going to be something of a, a backward step i would say so yeah. i think it suffers purely by comparison but i think just taking on its own merits i'm a big fan of it i really am i, I think the, the the especially the action scenes the fight scenes this the brutality in it is it's really striking, you know. You every blow that's landed in the um, the fights in this uh, one in particular fight we'll get to in a in a short while. Um, you feel the impact, I think, in in every single one. It's um, really visceral stuff, I think. Yeah, and I think you're right. The fluidity of it, it feels like the characters are moving. You know, if you have someone like um, oh, what's his name, like Greg Horn, where he basically mm -hmm. uh, draws playboy models you know and it just they're yeah. very static aren't they and a lot of the characters yeah. look the same they look absolutely beautiful but you know they they're just sensible so i think mm. with this it feels like there's movement between the panels so yeah, yeah. absolutely I, I completely agree with that 
Yeah, it's, it's a good look. I think it suits the story and suits the writing. Um, I think you can't have a well-written book with shitty art doesn't appeal to me and a book that's beautiful to look at but badly written doesn't appeal to me. I think you've got to have both working in, um, in synergy, if that's the right word, in tandem to, you know, to pull off a good reading experience, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and again, in terms of, you know, the character of the Daredevil, you know, you've got certain things that make up, obviously there's the origin of him, you know, with this old dad uh, being, being killed off, you know, all battling Jack Murdoch. Um, mm. But the Catholicism is a big part of Matt Murdoch's life. And yeah. the fact that at the start of this story, you know, you have, and again, you, you're reading it. And because I've not read it for such a long time, I, I'd kind of half forgotten some of the thing, you know, some of the nuances and the order that things happened. But the fact yeah. that, you th- you know, Matt thinks he might actually have the, the next coming of Jesus kind of thing, mm. or it could be the omen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like... Fucking hell, this isn't just a, a punch up between, you know, or or a superhero team up with Daredevil and Spider Man. This is this is pretty hard hitting stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, I said at the start, there's some heavy stuff in this. Um I mean it stems from, you know, Kevin Smith's a, a practicing Catholic as well. Um you I mean you wouldn't think so from the sort of stuff he, he he's come out with over the last twenty five years, the kind of <laughs> stuff he, he writes. But he, is he, he practicing? But he I think I don't think he's devout, but I think he was raised as such. You know. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think his I think his you know his, his family you know his, his parents and whatnot did raise him in that way. But obviously he's found his own path in life. But I think he you know he's, I think he, that kind of stuff stays with you, doesn't it? So I think it it does sort of frame this book for sure. Yeah, yeah. So so that makes more sense. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. he was raised a Catholic, but he, he's definitely rebelled against that. I don't think the I can't imagine him having a uh, his confession. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. I've just made yeah. this movie Dogma. Uh, yeah. Pretty sure you're not going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. God Almighty. Yeah. Okay. So back to the book then. Of course, you've obviously touched on already this this opening, where this 15 year old girl sort of makes herself. It, what's the right word? Uh, introduces herself, sorry, to uh, to Daredevil, to Matt, knowing uh, who he is for a start. She knows his secret identity, and she's got a baby with her that she's given birth to. But the sort of caveat to that is she's never slept with anyone. It is a, it's at least it, it, she thinks it is because he, he can tell if a person's lying because of his enhanced senses. It's a virgin birth. Um, she's never been with a, a man or anything like that. So. In, his, in her mind, she thinks that this child is the second coming of Christ, the Redeemer. Or, as sort of the plot develops and he's led down a certain path, like you said, is it the Antichrist? This is quite some pill to swallow right at the start of this book. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not like, um, like you said, it's not uh, spandex-clad, you know, flick-flacking over rooftops and swinging down and foiling bank robberies. This is, this is hard-hitting stuff. And compounded by that matt's old flame karen page comes back into the picture now she'd been away for quite some time prior to this book it was this book that brought her back into the uh, the continuity and when she'd left she'd sort of gone off to seek her 
try and seek her fame and fortune in Hollywood as an actress. But it, uh, to say it hadn't quite panned out for her is uh, an understatement. <laughs> she'd, she'd end up on heroin and alcoholism and sort of, end, no better word for it, ended up doing porno films. Um, so <laughs> things like, she hadn't quite hit the, uh, the glamour uh, side of Hollywood and had you know, fallen on hard times and had even sold Matt's <laughs> seek. For, did you, for, did for you intentionally a, yeah. make that pun there? Fallen on hard <laughs> <Yeah>. times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, she, she really had. She's gone so far down. She'd even sold his identity for. You just won't um, with the uh, Sid James Buns, will you? Oh well, you just said, you just said going down. Uh, 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 sorry, it's my filthy mind, to be honest. So <laughs> I'll stop interrupting you. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'll uh, come out with the Sid Jameses all uh, all evening, just for you, if you like. <laughs> Um, yeah, so she'd even sold his um, his secret identity to the king to the uh, kingpin just for um, a score, I think, a fix. That's how far yeah. down she'd gone. So she obviously re-enters his life and reveals that you know, uh, passed on the uh, the old adult movie sets, has left her HIV positive. Now that is, you know, you've got the teenage girl rocking up saying. I've got a baby, it's a virgin birth. And then Karen comes back going, hi, Matt, I'm HIV positive. <laughs> like you said, he does go through the, um, the, the mill quite a bit. What do you make to that? The, the sort of double whammy there. And initially the, the girl, I mean, obviously with her benefit of hindsight, we've read the book ourselves. We know how that pans out and what actually is behind that and the girl and why she believes that that is the case. But I mean, when you first read it, I mean, you, you, you kind of think, is she telling the truth? I mean, she's convinced she, in her mind, she is telling the truth because he's a human lie detector. I mean, what did you think <laughs> when you first read that little bit? Well, I mean, to be honest, so the uh, seeds for this were planted again, bit of a sexual pun there, um, <laughs> was, was done by Frank Miller years earlier. Mm. So the yeah. whole kind of, um, she's worked in adult movies, you know, having gone off to become an actress, um, that was all done by Frank Miller. So yeah. I guess the, I, I'd, I'd read that before this, and so it wasn't a shock, but it was kind of a shock to go back and, and you know, you you and I were both around in the eighties. I mean, AIDS was fucking horrendous at the time, mm, you know, yeah. I, I mean, it is now I'm sure, but you know, because of the advances in medicine and whatever, it's, it's, it's manageable, but it was, mm. it was, it was a bit like COVID-19 is now, isn't it? It's like, shit, this is a threat to humanity kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it went for a long time, you know, comedians didn't, go near kind of uh, approaching the subject of AIDS and, or anything like that. And it was a surprise to me. I mean, I guess this is in the 90s. So it, it was after that initial shock factor of, of AIDS. But to go back to a comic book and really sort of have it thrust in your face kind of thing was was a bit of a shock, you know, the first time of reading it. And, you know, the way Matt kind of finds out it, Honestly, the first time of reading this, it ripped my heart out. It is. It's pretty hard hitting because you think, well, that's kind of her done for. Like you say, at, at the time, it was, in effect, if you're HIV positive, it was somewhat of a death sentence, wasn't it? Whereas, uh, obviously, now with um, drugs and what have you, you can manage the situation and live a, 
a, a, you know a long and fruitful life uh, yeah maybe but back then it was you know you were you weren't was, gonna last long were you no you weren't walking away from that one so i mean the yeah. fact that the story the first few pages are basically a letter from karen you know she's left matt and yeah. again that's the first step in breaking him down where you just think how can any human being actually suffer this amount of punishment so I mean, as this story unfolds, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah, it is. And, you know, from there, Smith just puts on the layers of extra shit for him to deal with. <laughs> his best mate, Foggy, of course, uh, is sort of having a bit on the side from his um, other half with this sort of wealthy divorcee. And, you know, they go back to her uh, apartment for a bit of how's your father? And before his eyes, she turns into a demon. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> He uh, is accused of murdering her because she kind of ends up going out the, um, jumping out the, or sort of semi-thrown out the uh, flat window and crashing down to the uh, earth below. Um, So that's an extra little thing to deal with, your best mate um, being accused of murder. Um, And then, and to compound it, he's left literally holding the baby as well. Um, This girl has left him. She's sort of been via the, again, we'll get to that in the end, but, how she's been manipulated. She's been led to believe that he is the one who will protect her and this baby uh, from those who want to see the baby dead. So he's left literally holding a baby. And what does any man do when he's left holding a baby? Calls for Black Widow <laughs> to come yeah. and babysit for him. <laughs> I mean, of all the choices um, to sort of hold the baby, Black Widow, perhaps not the, um, not the most maternal uh, of uh, women that you would uh, call on <laughs> to come look after no. your, uh, your baby, you know, even if she is Max, uh, Max, Matt's um, ex-girlfriend. Yeah, you, um, w- you and, wish it was Max's ex-girlfriend. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no comment, no comment. But, um, well, Matt Murdock is quite the ladies' man, actually. If you look over his histories, he's been with a, a litany of women over the years, you know, Black Widow, Karen, Electra, of course. Uh, he married a lady called Miller or Mia Donovan, which kind of ended in tears. He was with he had a bit of a fling with Typhoid Mary as well, the villain. So he's, um, he, you know, he's put it about a bit over the years as old man. He is a bit of a, a man whore, I have to say. And he, <laughs> he and Black Widow go back, you know, to, um, you know, previous stories. So they do have history. It wasn't just from left field. And what I like about, you know, Smith's writing here is he's drawing on the past. He's not just writing a story a generic story and it just happens to put a superhero in it he is drawing on daredevil's history and creating this new story so you know phenomenal for me the stuff about his catholicism his history with karen page you know his history with black widow again i just can't help but have admiration for the writing yeah yeah he's not sort of pulling things out of the ether and pulling things out of thin air he's pulling things out that happened and that matter and shape the, the character's journey going forward you know it's he's clearly someone who's done his homework has researched the character or maybe not even had to do that because maybe he just read read it so much and loved it yeah. so much and it's all it's already all up there in his brain um i mean indeed he even cameoed didn't he in the uh, the ben affleck daredevil film he pops up in it kevin smith doesn't he he's like a, a morgue morgue worker a mortician who the, who, uh, the uh, journalist goes and says, he's in it for like two minutes, literally. That's right. Yeah, and, and you know what? Until you said that, I, th- I think Chris and I looked at this 
not so long ago. And for some mm. reason, I always forget that Kevin Smith is in it. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's he's the mortician, and and he gives uh, Ben Yurick the the yeah. clue that the staff is you know uh, a bit odd. And, you know, they they sort of unlock it, and it's like there you go. So yeah, it's a, it a pretty significant role actually he played, didn't it? But even though it was a small cameo. Mm. Yeah, no, it's um, it's quite a nice little spot for him. And obviously, you know, if he's a, a daredevil writer, a daredevil aficionado, it must have been quite the thrill to actually <laughs> be in the film, you know, for all oh, eternity. He, Even if the film wasn't himself. particularly great, you know. Sorry? You know what? I mean, just, just uh, uh, yeah, Kevin Smith, he, he'd have been beside himself, I'm sure. But yeah. I, I, you know that 2003 movie? It's a bit yeah. of an abomination. But I do think... That is mainly the theatrical release. You know what? If you watch the director's cut, it is not actually that bad. It plays up Matt mm. Murdock, the kind of detective, a bit more and plays down the love story more. Mm. So it gets a better balance, you know, with a Daredevil story. Now, it's still not great. It's still not a patch on the Netflix stuff. Um, but no. I, can, I can watch it. It's not bad. Yeah, it isn't. No, there's like this whole subplot that, they cut out for the theatres where like Coolio, <laughs> the uh, rapper's in it, isn't he? And he's, That's right, yeah, um, yeah. It, Matt, he's Matt's client in the um, in the legal case there. I mean, it's God, it's years since I've watched it, so I can't remember the details, but I just remember going, oh, no, that's Coolio. Yeah. Gangster's Paradise, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so obviously she's left holding the baby, but we do get one absolutely shocking moment um, in their exchanges where he's sort of been driven to almost insanity but not quite he's barely sort of clinging on and he's sort of been has been sort of manipulated and duped into thinking that this child is the antichrist and while he stood on a rooftop talking to black widow he actually throws the baby off the roof yeah. of this um building now thankfully obviously no harm comes to it um black widow jumps straight off and in true superhero fashion catches the baby and sort of springs back up onto the roof so no harm no foul i guess but to actually see that depicted that's pretty shocking stuff that's not something you see uh, very often in comic books i mean as a as a you know you're a father too like i am to see something like that god that does get to you doesn't it it absolutely does and again this is one of the little nuances so well i suppose it's not a little nuance is it but um it's kind of a major plot point the fact that he actually throws the baby and, and doesn't just contemplate it. Yeah. Uh, I, if there's a misstep anywhere here in this story, I think it might be there because I just yeah. don't believe Matt Murdo. It's like Batman, you know, he doesn't kill. So no. the fact that he does actually throw the baby and it just happens through pure luck that Black Widow's there and she can save the baby. Just, yeah. It just didn't quite sit right for me, but I think that's probably one of the only negative things I can say about the storyline. I, I just didn't buy it. I, I mean, you know, there's extent you find out later that he's been drugged and what have you, isn't he? So there are sort of extenuating circumstances. He's not a sort of sound body and mind. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, fucking hell, it, it's pretty shocking stuff to see something like that, you know? I mean, it's. And tantalizingly as well, when he does it, it's not till the the adjacent page that you know <laughs> the child's okay in the end. So it is, you know, it is quite something to to behold, I would say. Obviously from there he sort of 
put down even further and before you get to sort of find out who's behind all this and why they've done it how they've put it all together which is quite a genius plan we get one of the sort of i would say one of the most hard-hitting and violent and gory fight scenes uh, murder scenes that i've seen probably ever um in comics at least or certainly it's one of them and this is the um the bullseye massacre in the uh, in the church which they kind of adapted in the uh, the aforementioned netflix show that you were uh, touched on before they did sort of have that scene with bullseye attacking the church and and the way that scene ends and the way the tv show ends with the death of a character not the same character in the book and the tv show but it's pretty grotesque stuff so you you discover that bullseye bullseye is not the the mastermind behind this plot he's a hired goon the hired muscle the hired hitman and he's obviously been tasked with going to retrieve the baby so to speak from the church where uh, matt stashed the, the baby under karen's protection and the, the nuns there and he gets there sort of mid massacre and it's what the site you see you see uh, the congregation so there's the church goers sort of slaughtered in the pews you see uh, nuns dead on the floor all killed horrifically it's, it's not a, a scene for this sort of uh, weak stomach i mean what was your thought when you, you first saw that i think in terms of reading you know modern day comic books this had more of an emotional resonance for me than uh, 99% of the all the other stories that i've read and I think it's just because, you know, again, when, you, when you're our age, you've, you've lived, you've loved. So you put yourself in that position. And it was absolutely heart-wrenching. I do think, you know, the Netflix series was playing with us nerds. <laughs> you know, we knew what was mm. going to happen. And they just played with us a bit, teased us a little bit. But no, the first time of reading this, it absolutely hit me like a truck. And yeah. I, I was just blown away. I just wasn't expecting it. You know, again, your superhero stories, you expect that, you know, the continuation of that status quo. And, yeah. you know, to have what is a major, major character who isn't super powered, you know, just yeah. a, one of the sort of supporting cast, if you like, um, killed in that way in front of Matt was just, oh, it's jaw-dropping stuff. Yeah. Uh, it is. It is. I mean, you can only ima- you can only imagine the scene before he gets there. And I mean, one of the first things he does is runs over to uh, Maggie, the nun, who, as we sort of know uh, by now, is uh, Matt's mo- real life mother. And he's, he goes up to her. He says, "Oh, you know, stay down, don't move." And she says something like to him, like, uh, "Oh, he killed um, Sister Teresa first with her own rosary beads, uh, and then the things he did to her uh, sister Anne." I mean, you don't even want to think about what the things he did to Sister Anne. I mean, the mind boggles, it really does, because Bullseye is, as we know, is one sick son of a bitch. Yeah, he's Um, a twisted fucker, isn't he? And again, that is the (laughs) great thing about the... One of of my favourites is the killing joke. Yeah. Actually, discussed this one with Scott, uh, Scott, uh, Scott, Scott Wedley over on the 20th Century Geek. We did a whole yes. Desert Island comics thing, and I, yes, I talked yes. about the Killing Joke. And one of the great things that 
that they do there with in particular with the artwork is they suggest and your mind mm. fills in the rest mm. and i just think with this it's not the art so much it's the writing mm. with the lines you know the things he did you know brilliant your mind and and it depends how sick and sordid your mind can be you know will fill in the blanks and i just thought that was a brilliant piece of writing yeah it is uh, it really sort of gets a perfect handle on the bullseye character you know he's this hitman this killer for hire but unlike sort of other hitmen you'll find in comic books people like uh, deadshot or, or deathstroke although they'll kill whoever they're hired to kill they kind of still have that kind of moral code don't they and almost a, a twisted sense of, of right and wrong and of honor but this guy you just get the impression that he'd do it for now because he just loves it so much and yeah. um, he is just a piece of work an absolute piece of work completely sort of irredeemable character as well you always find with villains there might be a little bit of something in there that kind of you think you know, there's, there's a, a speck of good in there, maybe. But with him, there is absolutely... <laughs> there's nothing, is there? He is a pure, no. evil bastard, basically. I, and again, I can't help but go back to the movie and TV comparisons. But, you know, the, the character that Colin Farrell played, it was an <laughs> interpretation of this character. You know, It was an interpretation, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a bit... I guess it, it's like saying, you know, Cesar Romero is, is the Joker. Well the kind of jokers that we've been used to in recent times all right let's not talk about Jared Leto but you know the kind of uh real twisted tormented character that that we kind of know as the joker for me you know in a different way that's bullseye and Colin Farrell was just a bit yeah it was an interpretation like we say let's leave it there I don't hate it as much as other people do I think they really kind of nailed it better in the TV series. You know, they played him up as this kind of psychopath. And, you know, Mm. again, he's really, he's not necessarily someone, he he, he isn't born just inherently bad. You know, there's certain things that happen to him. And, but, you know, where he ends up, he is just that cold-blooded killer. And and honestly, I, I, I think he's quite underrated bullseye. Mm. and uh i i do enjoy him as a villain and, and i think again it, just because he is such a cold-blooded he's a great white shark you know mm. uh, he'll just go for you and, and take you out so brilliant villain for me yeah he is because um he's someone you really want to see get hurt isn't he uh, it makes you root for the hero more because you really want to see him suffer you really want to see him get his himself absolutely sort of pounded into the dirt or worse you just want to see him get annihilated so in a way that helps you even more root for the the hero of the piece and really get behind him the 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 worse the adversary the more you want to cheer on your good guy i think yeah and i i I don't want to scupper your notes if you've got any other points but obviously (laughs) bullseye in this is just the sideshow isn't he he's not he's not the main villain and again, nope. just in terms of jaw-dropping twists, I remember seeing this. Mm. And, you know, when you have this villain, who I know from a different corner of the Marvel Universe, just yeah. appearing in this Daredevil book, it's like, what the fuck? What, that can't happen. So, yeah. again, that twist, I just loved it. Yeah. Well, yeah, quite right. Um, I mean, you think, well, 
Bullseye's been hired, so who of sort of Daredevil's rogues gallery is going to be pulling the strings here? You think, oh, is it Kingpin? But then you think, well, it probably won't be Kingpin because he's cropped up in it earlier and doesn't appear to be directly um, involved in it. So then you're thinking, well, who the bloody else else could it be? Uh, and like you said, um, when we eventually discover who it is, this is another hero's villain, isn't it? It's not a, a Daredevil villain. It's a, a traditional villain for another Marvel hero. So it's like... You, you don't see it coming. I mean, it, when you read it again, obviously, with the benefit of hindsight, again, you, you, there's no signposting. You wouldn't know it's him or anything like that. But obviously, when you've read it more than once, it loses its impact because it's not much of a jaw dropper. When, when it first revealed, and I think we're okay to spoil a 20-odd-year-old book. Um, but, but we will say revealed, spoilers because if you haven't yes. read this, definitely stop right now because... For me, this blew my mind when I read it for the first time. So I'd hate for you to get to this point and just yeah. piss on your chips. So stop, <laughs> go get the book, read it. It is a great story. It is. It is indeed. So we discover that everything he's been through, the, the child with the, uh, the Immaculate Conception baby, uh, the, the Karen's HIV diagnosis, uh, Foggy's um, demonic bit on the side. Everything that's happened has all been orchestrated and faked, staged by none other than Mysterio, which is, as we said, is, is traditionally a Spider-Man villain. Um, and and obviously, I know at the moment Mysterio is quite a hot property because he was the main villain in the last MCU film, the last Spider-Man film. So at the moment, he's he's quite big news, isn't he? But he's never been a Oh, certainly at the point this book came out, he's never been a uh, A-list villain, has he? He's never been a top-tier category, just the sort of guy with a fishbowl on his head who does magic <laughs> tricks. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and what's quite clever is that um, he's sort of, what Smith does is he makes the villain self-aware of his status, and that's why he targets Daredevil as sort of the focus of his villainous plot, which... I don't know about you, Dave, but I, I, there's part of me that thinks it's a bit of a bit of a leap to suggest he would just go to him because, to cut a long story short, again spoilers, um, Mysterio finds out that he's basically terminally ill, dying of cancer, as a result of all the sort of hallucinogenic gases and things that he's used over the years for his, his illusions. So he's you know he's on a sort of ticking clock and decides that he wants to focus all his energy on finally taking out Spider-Man and driving Spider-Man to the force of the, the point of insanity, but then finds out that at this point, Spider-Man isn't Peter Parker. He's the Ben Riley clone. So he goes, well, I can't possibly uh, do it on Spider-Man because it's not the Spider-Man I know and love or know and hate. So uh, who can I uh, do it on? Uh, oh, Daredevil. Yeah. He's a second, uh, second string character like me and he once foiled an insurance scam i was trying to cook up i'll i'll go for him i'll ruin his life um so what do you think about that then do you buy his motivation do you think it's a bit of a bit of a leap to suggest he would devote all that time and that huge labyrinth in a elaborate conspiracy plot on so daredevil it, it's interesting the bit that you've picked up on there because because you're absolutely right and that is that bit is quite thin yeah the bit that I guess my mind was more focused on, though, was, again, you take, 
look, a lot of these Silver Age characters, they're quite silly, aren't they? You know, they they didn't seem, they seem quite grown up and mature, I'm sure, at the time when you're going from that Golden Age and obviously there's that dip, but you come into the Silver Age and and you get these silly characters. One of Daredevil, uh, one of his villains, my personal favourites is uh, Stiltman. You know, and and Mysterio kind of sits within those silly characters. You know, old Quentin mm. Beck, and he was a bit of a special mm. effects guy. So, you know, mm. he he goes on to become Mysterio. But the fact that you know, so Smith's sort of saying, "Yeah, I've surrounded myself in all this shit, and basically, I've got cancer." <laughs> he's like, he's like a kick in the balls, isn't it? You know, you've got this Silver yeah. Age character, and you're giving him cancer for fuck's sake. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah, the fact that he chose Daredevil uh, is basically because Kevin Smith was writing Daredevil. You know, that that is the main reason. But, you know, I, I kind of, again, I see the influence in this. I've spoken before about Old Man Logan. You know, there is definitely an influence there, isn't there? So, yeah, the fact that he goes on and, and basically wanted Daredevil to kill him. He wanted to go out, you know, as not a hero, but, you know, he, he wanted to go out in a way that was befitting of his status. And, you yeah. know, but Daredevil doesn't rise to it, you know, and then he ends up killing himself. I mean, fuck me. You cannot get more brutal than that. Yeah. It's when he sort of starts backtracking over how he got everything accomplished from the, the girl all the way to that point. It really is pretty clever. Um, his plot. It's not like standard villainous plot where they want to rule the world or gas a city or something like that. It is a really ingenious plot. But it is... Well, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a bit of a... It's like when they... You know when a magicians pull a, a tablecloth off a table and the crocker is still there? Yeah. Um, it it kind of feels like that. It's like we've give, we've give, we've taken you to this point. We've laid it on so thick from literally the start of the book. All this plot. We've you know I've, we haven't even mentioned the guy Baal who looks like Barry Gibb on steroids who uh, <laughs> had uh, sort of been uh, um, in, you know used by uh, Mysterio to sort of embellish the plot. But uh, you know we from literally panel one up to this point, we've laid it on so thick and we've almost, I mean, when I first read this, I, obviously you know when you're reading it, well, there's no way this child is the, the second coming of Christ or the antichrist uh, in human body because that's just not going to happen. But you, you're reading it up to that point going, well, what, what is this? You know, what, where are we going with this? What, what's that behind it? So you, you take that journey the whole way through and then all of a sudden Mysterio steps out from behind the proverbial curtain and goes, it was me and uh, I'm dying. So uh, I want to bring you to your knees and then you can give me a, a suitable end. It, it's good and it's a clever plot. But for me, it just, I don't know, maybe I'm being, being a bit harsh, but for me, it's not quite the ending I was looking for, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I see it completely a different way, but again, I think back, you know, this was a, a comic from the 90s. This was a, a twist that I just didn't see coming. I, I didn't see that Mysterio was involved in this at all. Why would he? He's mm. a Spider-Man villain. Now, you go to stories since that, and, you know, you're looking for the twist straight away. And so when the twist comes, it's like, oh, that's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? So I yeah. don't know if that kind of plays into it as well. But, 
you know, for me, I, I bought it hook, line and sinker. And honestly, oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Oh, I, I think it carries a lot of impact, especially the end. It's just the his, his reason for, do, for doing it, I don't quite yeah. buy. Um, it, I, mean, I don't mean his reason for wanting to go out the way he wants to go out and one last insidious plot. I just mean his reason for targeting Daredevil, you know, rather than... You would think that someone with such sort of delusions of grandeur wouldn't target Daredevil, who by his own, um, uh, Mysterio's own quote is, he's like a second tier, second stringer, like me. You'd think for his own sense of um, validation, wanting to prove his worth, he would target a more A-list Marvel hero of that time, you know, like a Tony Stark or a, a Captain America, something like that, you know? I mean, it's a bit Bond villain, isn't it? You know, he's gone to <laughs> yeah, huge, yeah. you know, uh, expense in terms of, you know, not, not only setting up the illusions, but also yeah. just the mental time thinking and planning out all this stuff. I mean, just walk up to Wolverine and fucking spill his beer. You know, that would be a pretty good <laughs> death wish, wouldn't it? You know, game yeah, over. <laughs> If you want to die, just do that. Yeah. If you want to be a human kebab, just do that. So, yeah, yeah it, is, it is a stretch. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's on par with, you know, getting sharks with freaking laser beams uh, on their heads <laughs> kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah. I, I see what you mean there. But I guess I'm, I'm looking at it more from just the, the cleverness of it. But, yeah, would actually someone do that? Yeah, probably not. And after all that, daredevil is literally able to go just literally take a breath take a take a pause take a moment and go do you know what you've you failed you know now i know what this was and and at that point he was literally on the verge of insanity wasn't he after what he'd been through the things he'd done the things he'd seen he was losing the fucking plot and literally mysterio goes it's me and this is why da 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 and he's able to just go okay um yeah you're fucking bonkers i'm not insane you failed others have tried and they didn't get anywhere so why are you any different and that it just completely derails it doesn't it It completely just stops everything in its tracks doesn't it this whole operatic plot this massive thing and it's just like with one sort of sharp intake of breath he goes nah nah you failed that's the end of that you know it's I just Daredevil wanted a bit gets, more fireworks. Yeah, but but Daredevil gets this like one or two panels where it's like, ah, oh, yeah, surely life's going to get better now. <laughs> and then yeah. comes along the next story arc where they break him down again. It's like, ah, oh, Bendis, I'm sure good things are going to come from this. So, you know, <laughs> I, I just think it, it's great. And again, I, I like the way, even going back to those Frank Miller days, you know, Daredevil was such a, a B-level character, yeah. but they, it just meant that they could do what they wanted with him. And, you know, they break him down. I mean, pretty much everyone knows who Matt Mur- Murdock is. You know, it's this, like, open secret. He's Daredevil. So yeah. I just like the fact that they don't hit the reset button. You know, the, uh, we sort of touched on it with Civil War, didn't we? The, the way after... Peter Parker had uh, sort of given up his identity as part mm. of Civil War. They they basically mm. pressed the whole reset button with that. Whereas with Daredevil, they, they keep kind of building on top of it. And, you know, yeah. he just has to sort of deny it. But every, 
everyone knows he's really daredevil. Yeah. I can't remember which run it was. I remember he's Matt Murdock is actually walking around the streets in a I am not daredevil t-shirt. I, I, <laughs> I just love it. But he does get those one or two panels to think, yeah, yeah I can't get any worse than this. <laughs> so I, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, you, you feel for him more, don't you? Because he's, because like you said, he's not a, a, a superhuman. He's got superhuman uh, levels of sense yep. or, at, the, at the cost of his sight. So, you know, of his senses, one is non-existent, but the other four are off the chart, Heinz. superhuman yep. level. But he's not, you know, he ain't bulletproof and he can't, you know, he's not Captain America level fighter. He's, he is just an extremely well-trained sort of ninja uh, level kind of guy. But, you know, especially which I think something they did really well in the Netflix show is that every time he's in a fight, he gets, he gets battered, doesn't he? You know, yeah. he, he wins, he wins the fights, but he comes out looking as though he lost the fight. You know, he really does take a hell of a lot of punishment, which is, is realistic because that's what would happen, wouldn't it? If you were a, 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 a unarmed vigilante going out, taking on organized crime and what have you and fighting scores of men in, you know, close quarter combine corridors you'd come out looking like you've been absolutely pummeled wouldn't you so it unless it, you're Lauren great Avedon. grounds and well fucking hell yeah unless you're Lauren Avedon <laughs> then um you know that man's untouchable isn't he let's be honest um, yeah, Chris yeah. is li- Chris is listening I'm sure he'd agree uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah but it, it's, it's true and it helps ground the character doesn't it because it keeps it like we were saying before what attracted you to it was this, the street level side of it yeah, and it it makes it more street level in the fact that he's a real man who bleeds like you and I would if we got cracked in the face, you know, bones get broken, and all the rest of it. You know, he he doesn't get up the next day looking like a million dollars. He get ups and get ups the next day with cuts and bruises all over his face. So it's you know it's it's yeah. gives it that sense of reality despite the fact that it isn't realistic that someone would be blind but have superhuman other senses and be able to do all this stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You, you just take that one thing and you exaggerate it a bit. Yeah. I, I think that there is something in that, that, that the characters I, I love most, you know, are that, you know, another one love is uh, Wolverine who's, who's honestly got a bit more ridiculous as, as time's gone on. He's, he's, basically becomes superman level powered but you know essentially you start off and you take that normal human being you say right okay well if he had a a really quick healing factor in those early you know x-men issues well i mean i I know he, he obviously originated in the hulk so he wasn't created there but they really expanded the character there yeah. If he got beaten to shit he was he was out of action for weeks you know he would heal mm. quicker but it wasn't instant. And then over time, he's just, it's just become like, you know, he gets an arm blown off and, and then, uh, I seem to remember, uh, there was an episode, episode, an issue. I I can't remember which storyline it was where the hood Mm -hmm. blows his cock off and he just goes (laughs) a while for that to grow back. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but uh, again, yeah, I know what you mean though. Yeah. Yeah, so so again, I, I just like that aspect to Daredevil, and, and you know, he does take longer. Obviously, it's a bit silly. Is it still in the Marvel universe? But no, I, I just can't help it. Love the character. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, he's a relatable kind of guy. You know, he, he 
it's like Spider-Man in a lot of ways, you know, he has real, as well as his sort of hero side of it and what he does and how he lives his costume life, in his real life he has relatable problems like the rest of us do, don't he? He's not, um, he's not a Bruce Wayne, Tony Stark character living in an ivory tower. He's, yeah. you know, he's a working man like the rest of us with, you know, real, pro- real everyday problems to to overcome like like all of us do you know we all worry about you know uh, money and relationships and and all the rest of it and that's the kind of thing that these kind of street level characters uh, go on to so i think you know there's always that thing that ties you a bit more to them than your billionaire or godlike character billionaire playboys or godlike characters that uh, don't don't suffer when they're not in the costume so to speak you know yeah yeah no, absolutely. I agree. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so we've kind of sort of reached the end of the book. I mean, obviously, we know what becomes of Mysterio. He, his, his plans are in tatters. His sort of plan for a, uh, a big finish has been denied him. So what's left to do but eat a bullet, basically. And he even says, because um, Daredevil says to him when he's sort of batting him back, saying, you're not original, this has happened before. Kingpin tried to drive me to the uh, edge of my sanity. He failed. So you're no different. You're just a, a, a cheap knockoff. There's nothing original about you. So bye-bye, so to speak, and sort of takes the baby. And he says, well, yeah, you're kind of right, Matt. And here's one more thing I copied from Craven. And then obviously he does himself in. Uh, and it's Shades of Craven's Last Hunt there, you know, which I know is a book you're pretty familiar with. Love that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's one. That's one. That's one on the list for a future episode for sure. Yeah. No. I just. Oh, I do love this series, Max. You know, and and it just gives me the opportunity to go back and just purely indulge. I, I, yeah. No, it's brilliant. Craven's Last Hunt is awesome. So I can't is, wait till yeah. we do that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, with, without wishing to. <laughs> spoil our well the clues in the title craven's last hunt um d- don't say that too quickly um but <laughs> you can <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah i mean the end for mysterio is a, a similar end to how sort of craven comes but as we know no one ever stays dead in comics do they so yeah apart from uncle ben i mean they used to say bucky as well didn't they but uh no i think uncle ben mm-hmm. um uh kent what was his name <laughs> jonathan not, and not martha kent. jonathan jonathan kent so i don't think he comes back does he so yeah uh, those two yeah. are probably your main two yeah yeah i mean they've they've brought jorel back from the dead in the last couple oh of really years. oh i didn't yeah. see that <laughs> uh, they, they bought um thomas wayne back um but yeah uncle ben's um a good one he's never never quite come back but like you said no one stays dead. I mean, you know, the the big sort of Batman last arc killed Alfred off, and you know he's gonna hope, hopefully, but probably stay dead for the foreseeable. But you can't see them never somehow concocting a way to bring such a you know eternal character back. Um, yeah. So I always take comic book deaths with a pinch of salt. You know. Um, I mean, some of them don't even last an issue. You know, that's that's <laughs> yeah. the, the the ridiculousness of it. I mean, I, I'm assuming at some point you'll cover like the death of Superman, and I do think that yep. was the tipping point where it just became like, okay, 
we put in death, it sells loads of comics, and we can just bring them back anyway. You know, and we'll yeah, try and bring yeah. them back in a in a creative way. But ultimately, uh, we're just going to bring them back from the dead. So, yeah, I, uh, it's yeah. something I'm not that comfortable. Well, uh, it just is what it is, isn't it? You know. Yeah, the the death of characters never quite have a massive impact with me because you're always. I always presume they'll be back at, at some point, you know. The, uh, virtually every hero or villainous character in the big two has probably died at some point and been resurrected at some point further down the line. You know, sometimes they've stayed dead for a good number of years. Um, you know, people like Barry Allen and ones like oh, that Green Arrow. Yeah, maybe, yeah. But, then, but then others have just been a few months or even a few weeks, you know. Um, but like you said, death sells, doesn't it? You know, you can really hype it up, you know. Uh, you know if it's going to be like a, a, a key, massive A-list character, like you said, the death of Superman. You know, if you, you know you're never going to kill off Superman forever because that's the flagship character, isn't it? That's Along with Batman, yeah. that's what DC's whole franchise is built around. You're never going to have your cash cow off the taken off the playing field for good, you know. It's only yeah. ever going to be short term. But even secondary characters like like Craven or Mysterio or, or or Alfred in Batman, you know, never I would never watch any character you know, some nameless, anonymous bit part character who's barely been in it, you know, if they die, you think I'll probably never see them again. But any long standing hero or villain with some worth, I think you'll always see them again at some point down the road. If, if not the original character, then someone else, you know, a long lost son or something like that, or a disgruntled <laughs> auntie or something like that, put, putting on the old costume and going out, you know, doing something with it. So, you know what, I'm, I'm sure the there is going to be some sort of side story somewhere, but I'm not aware of it, but somewhere where Aunt May takes on the Spider-Man mantle because Peter <laughs> said, you know, that, that will be a story I'd read. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably been done. Let's be honest. It's probably yeah. been done in else worlds or what if kind of or, story. Or, or the Simpsons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So uh, what what I'll just say is, you know, a couple of quick shout outs. I think Mike from Genuine Chit Chat has has spoke to you about doing uh, Marvel Zombies. But again, Mm. another kind of personal favorite of mine just mashes up different genres. Um, But also the ultimate universe that Marvel did. Again, Mm. interestingly, under Casada's leadership at that time, what I liked about that universe was that actually there was consequence. They did, they did kill off Wolverine and he stayed dead. Okay. They got someone else, you know, who became a a Wolverine person, but you know, it seemed like this was a short lived universe. It it only had a lifetime. So if people died, um, you know, there was real consequence to it. I remember one, which I can't remember which storyline it is, but you Mm -hmm. know, the conclusion to it was the thing went and basically killed Dr. Doom. Yeah. You know, because he'd, uh, he, he, I can't remember, he, he'd either killed Sue or, God, my memory's terrible with this stuff. But but again, I remember thinking, holy shit, you know, that, this is different yeah. to just maintaining the status quo and, you know, tune in for the next issue where we fight similar villains, you know. So yeah. I, those two things, if you haven't read those, again, I, I'd recommend those as a kind of side note to these uh, mainstreams yeah. that we're talking about. 
Yeah. No, I'm a big fan of the Ultimate stuff, actually. Yeah, I've got quite a bit of that. And they killed Peter Parker off as well uh, in the Ultimate Spider-Man. They, um, yeah, of they, course. Yeah, they, yeah. They killed him off. But again, because like you said, it's its own out of continuity sort of pocket universe. You can bring those characters back in the the main continuity. Um, but yeah, it was great. Oh, I'm a big fan of the Ultimate stuff. Um, the, the, old, the Avengers film is so much of it is taken from the ultimates um you know not least samuel l jackson as nick fury yeah. um but it's it's you know there's so much of it that's just lifted off those pages um you know some of it almost directly um, yeah. but yes yeah, it's, it's good stuff that's really good stuff for a for a rainy day oh and you've uh, got a lot of time like a lot of us have at the minute who are sort of sequestered <laughs> at home from work not yeah. allowed to venture out if you've got the time and the, the resource to do it seek those books out you know you've got um ultimate fantastic four x-men spider-man spider-man is where it all started wasn't it again another bendis one a a link back to the daredevil stuff so yeah Yeah. it's uh no it's all it's all good stuff and the ultimates which is the avengers but in all but name but they call just called them the ultimates but it is the avengers um so a lot of the big hitters are in that ultimates universe and it it is just great stuff like you said because it's not beholden to the rules of the mainstream continuity so they can change characters and flip them on the head a bit kill them off where they want to it's um no it's good stuff it's really good stuff i'd, I'd love it if that kind of stuff came back of a fashion somehow if they managed to you know at some point resurrect that universe and maybe pick up where they left off or reboot I'm, it i'm, I'm on board pretty sure like characters nothing stays dead i mean they've done civil war 2 they've done secret wars 2 so yeah yeah, they'll be doing that again i'm sure oh yeah if something works they they always go back to the well uh if it worked first time and it's more importantly if it's sold first time um then there's always a chance they'll go back to it um in some fashion so uh, yeah hope springs eternal that maybe we'll get more ultimates i'd certainly be up for that definitely Okay, so I think we've kind of reached the end of our sort of talk about um, this book, Guardian Devil, which is a real cracker. So uh, shall we do our final scores? Let's go. So um, I'll, as always, I'll let the guest have the, uh, the honour of the big finish. So if you like, I'll go first with, uh, with my score uh, for this particular book. Uh, as always, we give it marks out of five or thereabouts. Um, now for this one, I'm going to give it four out of five i think it's a highly entertaining and engrossing book the way that uh, kevin smith structures that plot is really clever and it builds the intrigue and the layers of conspiracy to the point where you don't know how it's going to be resolved you know whilst the concept of the second coming is kind of out there up until the reveal of mysterio you can't quite get a, a handle on what's truly at play dialogue's really smart and articulate as you would expect from kevin smith uh, as we discussed earlier, I think the cassade route is vibrant, and leaps off the page. Um, as we also said, I'm not quite all in on Mysterio's motivation, but his plot is brilliant. The level of detail and layers to it is pretty masterfully done. There is some hard-hitting issues, as we've already spoken about, involved here, and he pulls no punches with that. It never feels inappropriate, though, and it never feels like it crosses a, a line or is just you know gratuitous. Uh, it's an adult book, and as such, you know it fits the bill. Uh, whilst the twist loses impact with repeated reading, it is a book that can be revisited to great effect because you'll see stuff you've never seen in previous um, 
books. And it's also quite a worthy jumping on point, I think, for new fans that might want to read Daredevil and don't know where to start because it gives you a, it gives you a sort of glimpses back at the past and takes you into the future. So if you're going to start anywhere, you could start here. Well, you could start anywhere, really, but there's worse places to start. So I will give it four out of five. Very good. Now, what I would say is this is almost one where I want to give it two scores. So it's mm. it's how do I feel myself about yeah. going back to this story and what did it mean to me? And and if I did yeah. that, it'd be a five five out of five. With that said, trying to step back and be a bit more objective about it. And again, yeah. the thing is with this show, it's it's looking at all the great stories. And so actually, I'm kind of thinking now, you know, it's going to be tough, isn't it? Because nothing's going to be lower than a three, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do think um, the, the artwork didn't stand up quite as well as I, I remembered it standing yeah. up. I think, you know, you make a great point about Mysterio's motivation being a little bit thin. For me, I, I caught up constantly in the reveal of it. And, you know, the idea that, you know, these guys all occupy the same universe. So why can't they exchange villains, you know, for... Yeah. Or the villains kind of go and pick on a different hero, depending on what their motivation is. So mm. I loved all of the the adult themes, hard-hitting themes about religion, about real-world problems like AIDS and stuff like that. The fact that you got a, a major character in the Daredevil world, like Karen Page being killed off, just yeah. phenomenal. You get those nods to the past, like you say, but... I think where this scores really highly is as a standalone story. You know, all mm-hmm. stories now, they, they, they're all written for six-issue trades, aren't they, pretty much? Yeah. But, you know, this goes back to the 90s, but you can pick it up without knowing anything about Daredevil in the past. And, all right, Black Widow shows up, and it's just because Black Widow shows up. But it's Smith's nod to the past that, you know, this is a it's a relationship that goes back years so yeah. i like that like you said it, it takes those nods he knows his daredevil history but you know he's creating something a bit new as well with all that said i think again you know we've we've looked we've looked at some absolute blockbusters haven't we you know with you and i with civil war with kingdom come yeah. i think i'm gonna have this one as a four out of five as well I think if we were to go increments smaller than a half, um, I, I might score it a bit higher than that. But if I say, yeah. you know, the minimum is 0.5, is it a 4 or <laughs> is it a 4.5? I, I'd probably err, it's, it's slightly close to a 4. So, again, I feel harsh with that. But, you know, these are just some great stories that we're looking at, yeah. aren't we? I mean, again, you say what you and Tony did last week, again, just more great stories and and it fills me with such joy to go back you know and mm. and have this nostalgia with with all these great and and unmissable storylines yeah yeah uh no it, it is and it's a, it's a it's a real treat and there is literally an unending mine of them to draw upon as well it's not like there'll ever be a point where you can run out of of, of big hitting um books from either marvel or or dc to to go on isn't there there's literally a it's a never-ending well i think well we say that but let's see how long we're in quarantine for 
(laughs) (laughs) That's true, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it could be another few weeks yet. It's it's only been two, well, yeah, nearly two weeks for me uh, since... uh, the the, the um well, I finish work and uh, I'm still at home <laughs> so uh, just uh, waiting to get cold back in but it doesn't look as though that's going to be anytime soon so yeah who knows I might run out of books let's hope not let's hope not yeah but let's um, hope not. no that's brilliant Max it, again it's been great to indulge and uh, thanks for having me on no it's my pleasure thank you uh, Dave for giving up your time and your uh, your expertise as always and uh, a great score like. Uh, snappers uh, as my score four out of five so uh, i'm glad we're on the uh, the same page the same karen page if you will oh nice i love it i love it <laughs> get yourself on that wrestling mic you're, you're ready to go <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so all that remains obviously is to obviously let people know what's uh, going on uh, where they can find everything you and, and chris are cooking up on your various um, podcast streams and all the social media so please let everyone know oh it's, it's getting a longer and longer list so i mean obviously <laughs> you know where we cut our teeth it's comics in motion we we're still trying to put stuff out there um obviously there's got not going to be any new releases things like wonder woman black widow it looks like they're all going to be pushed back so you know we'll be doing more of our retro reviews there if you want to go to the vh S strikes back you know, for more of those kind of older movies, kind of mostly kind of 80s and 90s movies. Uh, this has somehow evolved into Chris and I trying to stitch each other up. <laughs> I think at the moment it is uh, probably 15 love to him um, because we, this latest issue, we did Cool as Ice starring Vanilla Ice, which I didn't even know that existed, to be honest. Oh, um, absolutely horrendous movie. And, uh, you know, I lived through the 90s. I don't remember fashion being... I I don't remember it being that bad, but I guess, you know, I just went with the tide at the time. We also have... Chris and I do the Love Island cast. I've also got the Bachelor banter cast, which is looking at uh, the Bachelor from South Africa (laughs) season two. (laughs) So I I would just, you know, have podcasts will travel is is my line, I guess. So, yeah, no, it's been brilliant. But I guess, you know, one of the exciting new projects, Chris has got uh, the wrestling podcast. So I believe you're going to be on that, Max? Uh, I am yes. Uh, I think we're recording uh, tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow night, as we as we sit here now, um, we're going to be looking back at um, one of the old WrestleManias from the early two thousands. So that should be a lot of fun. But yeah, knowing Chris and his uh, his love for old school wrestling, it should be one hell of a show. No, that'd be good. And and to be honest, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing you guys indulge and just. I'm I, my kind of love for wrestling peaked probably around the late 80s I think it was about 89 when you had Hulk Hogan yeah. and Ultimate Warrior at their peak yeah. you know Legion of Doom the Bushwhackers oh, yes. like that yeah. the Heart Foundation so I, I, but you know there's a lot of it that's lost on me but those podcasts are brilliant to listen to just because yeah. the enthusiasm of and it's again a bit like Love Island and The Bachelor, I guess. It's just all about the drama, just a different kind of drama, you know, with more baby oil. Yeah. Well, I've always looked at wrestling as a violent soap opera, you know. Soap it absolutely opera with is. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Should be a should be a lot of fun. Yeah, and by all means, if people want to say hi on social media, you can find me on Twitter at Maxi Burn, which is M A X Y B Y R N E. And there's uh, on my page there, there's links to the various um, sites I write 
uh, reviews for comics and things like that so um by all means check it out and uh, say hello um and uh, dave thanks again so much uh for this evening thank you so much for giving up your time and which uh, i know is precious at the minute with everything you've got going on so again thank you so much no it's been brilliant mate thanks a lot and let's do another one soon we shall indeed and in the meantime everyone please stay safe out there follow the rules that the your governments are putting out there for you then the sooner this will all be over and we can go back to a, a normal way, way of life uh, please look after everyone and um, above all stay safe okay bye for now this is Acast recommends every week we pick one of our favorite shows and this is one we think you're gonna love Dating was hard enough before an international pandemic. Asking someone to meet me outside is indicative of how they feel. If they're willing to risk it, then they're in love with you. We all crave companionship, love, and intimacy. I feel like I need to make out with my dog just to see if I can remember how to. This podcast is a real-time look at dating with our new normal. This girl's like, I'm so bored, come over right now. I doubt a lot of guys are like, no, sorry, I'm trying to be safe. This is Dating Diaries. Quarantine Confessions. Acast is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.